Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We live on a Wednesday night. How you feeling? Back on hump day. Things had to be moved around a couple weeks ago for David Cunningham. We went to a Thursday, but we are back in our regular slot, and we've got a big lineup tonight, Brian. Yeah, we're talking spring game later. Uh, Going to get a little preview of that. But before we get there, we got a big guest on tonight. Uh, defensive tackle for the Hokies. We got none other than Jordan Williams. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on here. Jordan, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Doing real good. Doing real good tonight, man. It's Wednesday. Back after the week is here. Spring game week. Brian's head down. We know you're back in the Berg already. Uh, man's been all over the country the last few days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, Jordan, let's let's start here, man. You went to Cox High School down in Virginia Beach. Um, tell us a little about your about, a bit about your background there, and kind of let's go back to 2016. Mm-hmm. Give us some talk about your initial recruitment because. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a four-star, top 150 player. I mean, what, 30-plus offers? Yes, sir. Wow, man. So give us a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean, recruitment was definitely wild for me. Uh, I didn't really have, like, early, like, as as early as recruiting as a lot of the other bigger-name players in the state of Virginia. But for me, I just kind of – I just kept working, kept producing, kept going to camps, kept doing stuff like that. And for me, after a while, it kind of just all – they all started piling up and – I had a lot of great schools, uh, a lot of in-state schools that wanted me to uh, stay home. A lot of a big, big-time conference schools, a lot of big-time programs offered me scholarships. So for me, it was just, it was pretty hectic. You know, I was I was talking a lot over with my family, and it, for me, ultimately, it came down to uh, four schools, which were Clemson, Virginia Tech, UVA, and Tennessee. And for me, I just, just after all, a lot of thinking and a lot of prayer and talks with my family and things like that. It, uh, we just felt as if Clemson was the best uh, all-around choice for me. So I decided to go to Clemson for, for four years. Had a great career there. Had a, had a memorable career there. Made a lot of, made a lot of great long-life brothers. Um, all types of stuff, man. And then transferred to Virginia Tech for my last year. And, and now I'm still I'm living the rest of the story now. There we go. Sure. There we go. It sounds like that's a, that, was a, that was a big process for you. Who was the first, like, uh, first school to kind of reach out to you and really show you some love? Uh, my first my first offer was Maryland. And I remember um, I went to two Maryland camps, and I got offered at the second one because I know, like, a lot of guys that, that got recruited in high school, there's, like, the, the camps that everybody goes to, and then there's the, the invite camps that they, yes. that they invite to. So I was there with a lot of the other big-time recruited guys, and for me it was just kind of like – I kind of just, it kind of was a moment for me where I was like, I'm one of these guys now. You know what I mean? Like, I, I went from wanting to be a highly recruited guy to being a highly recruited guy. So, for me, I got Maryland. <clears throat> and then, ironically, uh, Coach Pry, Coach Franklin, those guys at Penn State offered me second. Okay. And then, after okay. that, my recruitment kind of just blew up. It was just, it was phone calls every week, letters, visits, all types of stuff. So, it kind of kind of happened fast for me. So there's the camps you pay for, and then there's the like <clears throat> camps. We we talked yeah. about that last year. Um, I know I kind of mentioned it. How many total offers do you remember getting? Like, um, I want to say I might have had 
close to 50, like the high 40s maybe. And I'm, I, right. I'm assuming everywhere, West Coast, East Coast, North, South. Yeah, West Coast. I had a couple West Coast offers. I didn't think I was really going to get any because, you know, yeah, it's hard for a guy to pack up from the East Coast and move all the way out West, you know what I mean? So, But I still had a, I had a handful of West Coast offers and things like that. But, yeah, it was a bunch of conferences, a bunch of different programs. It was, it was hectic. I bet. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy that you, know, you got schools – East to West, they were kind of just send, sending you stuff and trying to get you to come out to the camps and right. see what it's all about. Um, so you get all these offers. Uh, yeah, I know you touched on it a little bit, but what really set Clemson apart from the rest of that group? Uh, for me, they were just real people like Clemson, like throughout recruiting, a lot of programs, they'll tell you you're going to come in and be a starter day one or, or you're going to come in, you're going to be the man and things like that. And, and realistically, when you're when you're hearing those things, it's like, yeah, that's what you want to hear. But just being a realist with yourself, like uh, a college coach is telling you as a as a 16, 17 year old kid that you're going to come in and take a potentially a 23, 24 year old uh, player's position. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for me, Clemson never really they never promised me anything. They told me that I was going to have to work for everything. They they were genuine people. We had a genuine relationship. And for me, it kind of just it felt real. So. For me, that's kind of what set them apart from everybody else. Um, I'm going to ask, because you mentioned your final four. Was VT your number two? VT was my number two. So Virginia Tech definitely was my second option. It was one that I kind of – it kind of made things harder, you know, being being home in, in, in Virginia and then going to South Carolina. It, it kind of made things tough. But for me, like, going into recruiting, staying home wasn't ever really a big part recruiting like it definitely played a role but it wasn't like my deciding factor but it was definitely tough having to go what six and a half hours from virginia beach yeah. to to clemson yeah yeah oh definitely for sure and like you said getting recruited by so many people you know it, you gotta you, you gotta kind of find that fit for for you i mean right you know uh okay so you get enrolled were you an early enrollee or I wasn't. I enrolled in the summer. Okay, you're enrolled in the summer. So, all right, you get enrolled, you get there in the summer. What was the culture of the team and the feel of the community down there in Western South Carolina? Because I think you went in 16, they were just off the national championship, right? I yeah. got there 16, they just came off a national championship. And uh, for me, like, I got there and, and the older guys just kind of took me in and 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 made me one of their own. You know, they accepted me. They they invited me places, invited me to come work out, invited me to watch film with them, and then uh, just get a part of like the actual team because like there's an acclimation period, of course. Like freshmen come in and they're working out with each other, and then when we first get into like our real full team like workout setting, it just made it real clear that like why Clemson was the type of program they are. Like it's a team that that that's really player led. Like the the players like. They're the ones that are that are telling guys to come in and watch film. They're the ones that are having extra workouts. They're the ones that are setting up all these things for for guys to to get better and, and gain more knowledge. And for me, like being a freshman, being excited, being eager to to just learn everything, it's something that you kind of just you just get on board with. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like out the gate you were kind of like a sponge, just soaking it all in and trying to definitely kind of definitely put in that effort, right? Yeah. And- and when you hear about like the player led stuff, I mean, that that's culture because that's right. what instills, you know, the juniors and seniors are telling you guys as freshmen and sophomores, hey, Tate, let's go get a workout in. Let's let's hang out. And then as you get older, 
it's probably yeah, like a natural it. trigger. Like now, I'm gonna tell these guys, and and exactly that, that's something that's that's something that's hard to get in programs, man. Yeah, it's hard to build. You gotta instill it from the top down. Every everybody's got to be on board and rowing in the same direction, right? Most definitely. So, um, when you were at Clemson, your position coach was Todd Bates, right? Mm, correct. Uh, so, was he your favorite coach uh, down in Clemson? Was it Brent Venables, or was it somebody else on that staff? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I had a favorite. You know, I, I feel like every coach offered me individually, like, like different things, like a different type of – like, each coach had something different that they tried to instill in me. And it kind of just like, like I said, there was just a real group of guys, like a real group of people, even the support staff, like some of the ladies over in um, and like the student academic center and things like that. Like everybody just trying to instill something different into me. And it kind of a lot, a lot of things stuck with me. Some things I, I might have to hear again, but they definitely try to pour into me a lot. And I mean, it's definitely hard to pick a favorite. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can appreciate that. I get that. I want to ask this because we 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 watch. You know, we're tech fans, but we we love college football. We watch all the games. Brent Venable seems like he's one of the most animated guys. Does he have a voice like when you're at practice? Like when you hear his voice change tone, you're like, uh oh, somebody's about to get it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like he's always like. You kind, of, you guys kind of call him animated, but that's just how he always is. Like that's the only way we see him. You know what I mean? So when when you hear him like coaching you up, it might sound like he's like he's like he's getting on you or something like that. But it's really like it's just him, just being a coach, just being co- his type of coaching style that he has. It's just it's just something that you kind of get used to. But there's definitely a difference. Like you know when you're being coached and when you're being yelled at. You know what I mean? There's I definitely you. a big difference, yeah. and and it's something that like. Like, as one of his players, it's something that you kind of, like, you catch on to very quickly. I got you. I got you. So, let's let's talk about some another mm. personality for that Clemson staff. Oh, a personality. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this this is just a question that I wanted to know about. Is the is the Davo Swinney that we see in the media and in interviews, is he the same guy that you, as a player, get in the locker room? 100%. I mean, Coach Swinney, like, and I tell everybody that, but like that's kind of one of the most common questions when when Coach Swinney comes up and like my experience at Tech, the same guy that's in front of the cameras is the same guy that's behind the cameras. You know what I mean? Like he's just he's a he's another guy that just always is at the same level. Of course, when when there's a time to be serious, he knows when to lock down and get everybody get everybody checked in and and, and know that it's something it's like it's it's a serious moment. But besides that, he's a goofy guy, always dancing, always smiling, always talking, creating conversations, just wanting to have fun. Just just a guy that, he, he like, when he's out there on the field, it looks like he enjoys being out there. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like he's just walking around, observing all the time. Like, he's making – he's just out there just making guys better just off of his energy alone. Yeah, you, you definitely see him, especially. You, they show him pregame. He's he's talking around. You see him slapping guys right. and laughing and joking and, like you said, dancing. And, uh, yeah, so it's interesting – or it's interesting to hear to know – Dabo, wherever we see Dabo, that's Dabo. Exactly. So it's, it's not 100%. for the camera. It ain't for He's the not camera. doing it for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's turn to this, though. I, I, we <clears throat> want to ask you some questions about coming to Tech. And, you know, as things entered, ended at Clemson, you were you were there. You've been there four years. You got a national championship ring. You went to numerous playoff games. You played in some of the 
biggest games we saw every year, but you decided to enter the portal. You know, what 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 combination of things was it that made you decide, okay, I've had a great run here. I love this place, but I've got to I've got to move on. Right. Um, so for me, uh, my education was something that kind of played a huge part in transferring. I graduated from Clemson. So for me, it kind of was like a combination of me wanting to finish school. There's a, a part of it where like football is something that I plan on doing long term. And for me, I feel like I was going into my fifth year as I finished my fourth year going into my fifth year when I entered the transfer portal. And for me, like the NFL is something that I want to do. And, and the, with the, the grade I was getting back from, from Coach Sweeney and the scouts and stuff like that with my years where I was draft eligible, I just knew that there was so much left out there for me to put on tape, so much more out there for me to improve on. And for me, like, I just wanted to go somewhere where I had a different type of role and a different type of different type of snap count. I wanted to be able to get more plays and, and continue to produce and put a lot more on tape. So for me, you know, we watch Virginia Tech on film a lot and because we play similar opponents, you know, being in ACC. And even, like, our coaching staff was just impressed with how their defensive line played, just how disruptive they are, how – how athletic those guys are, how they just cause a lot of disruption in, in the middle and make a lot of plays. So for me, when I went into the transfer portal, basically everything I said about high school recruiting, it was that like times two, just because I had a shorter time frame to commit to a school and things like that and, and more schools reaching out. But for me, those were the Virginia Tech, Daryl Tatt was one of the first coaches to reach out to me. So build an early relationship with him and maintain that relationship. And then obviously, you know, he went to the NFL to coach in uh, San Francisco. Yes, but, yes he did. <laughs> yeah, Kurt, Curtis is a Niners fan, so he is he is well-versed in the, <laughs> Listen, in the I'm, Daryl Tapp world here. I'm straight up. We, we had the opportunity to – we interviewed Daryl last year. And, dude, I was the most giddiest guy you've ever seen. It's like this is right. a guy that – you know, he's our age. We got to meet him back at the spring game a few years ago. He was nice enough with his kid on his back to take five minutes to talk to us. And when we reached out to him to interview, he said, can you give me May? Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll check. It's like, like, dude, you could tell us like next spring. Like, we will say yes. Um, but, you know, obviously you kind of already mentioned it. Um, you know, Daryl left for the NFL. And then they bring in J.C. Price from Marshall. Were, were J.C. and Bill Tierney similar in their approach to practice, or do they did they kind of bring different styles as you – They definitely brought different styles. They definitely brought different styles. We, we always used to joke around in our room and call – we would call Link the brains and uh, Coach Price the muscle. You know, Coach Price is coming out there. He's going to – if you mess up, he's going to tell you right then and there that you messed up. <clears throat> Coach Link will tell you, but he might just tell you in film or after practice anything like that. Coach Price, he's going to let you have it right then and there. You know what I mean? He's a guy that notices all the little things. He's a guy that, that emphasizes just having energy, hustling, moving moving quickly everywhere you're going to. And, and you kind of need that being out there. It kind of explains the, the type of coach he has and the type of impact he had when he – when he took over towards the end of the season. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely see like just some of the, you know, any, anytime you see coach price out there, it looks, you, you can feel that energy, right? Like, right. You know, whether, whether it's media, whether it's just like quick steps that you catch on, on social media, you see that energy and you feel that, that passion. And 
Uh, I, it sounds like he brings that to the to the practice field to the, the sideline. So that's cool. So let's talk a little bit of, um, about uh, Coach Ham. Um, was there a big transition for you coming from Brent Venable's system and then fitting into what Coach Ham was doing at Virginia Tech? Oh, I mean, for me at Clemson, we ran so many, so many blitzes, so many coverage. It was just so much installed that that you had to know and that you had to learn each and every week. But like I said, that that player driven culture, you know, like guys are already learning it. Guys are learning the next day's install the day before. And it was just things like that going on. But for me, going into the transfer portal, I knew that if I could learn a system like Brent Venables, then I'll be able to go anywhere in the country and learn a similar similar system. You know what I mean? Or any other type of system, just because of how complex and how much things we we ran as a defense at Clemson. What about Ham's personality and you know energy level? Because you know you mentioned Brent's intense. We know that, and and I know Ham can be intense, but there's sometimes it looks like he was a little more. Yeah. yeah, he keeps his cool a lot more. Uh, yeah. He definitely, he definitely speaks up a lot to us during practice. He definitely has a has a big voice for the whole defense. He gets all of us in line, gets all of us in order. Game days are kind of where he's a little bit more mellow. You know, what I mean, he's a little bit more chill, chilled out. Unless we make a big play, or unless we're messing up or blow a big coverage or anything like that. But he's a lot more mellow. But he definitely, he definitely has a has a strong voice for our our defense and our team. Awesome. Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier, have uh, I think I, I read it. I can't remember who who uh, who put it out there, but you know the, the familiarity you had with uh, with Coach Fuente from your previous recruitment kind of mm-hmm. played a role in your move to Blacksburg as well. What was that relation like for you and uh, Coach Fuente? Um, for me, you know, Coach Fuente, I, I, I'll never have a bad thing to say about him. I know that there's a bunch of people out there, a lot of fans, a lot of a lot of whatever you want to call it, but a lot of people bash him and a lot of people can say can say what they have to say about him. But for me, you know, I was I was probably at one of my lowest points leaving Clemson, you know, going into the transfer portal, not really knowing what what was next for me. And Coach Fuente was just so eager to call me and and give me a shot and give me a chance. And for me, like I felt like I was talking to the same guy I met when I was seventeen years old. So he he kept that same relationship. He wasn't he wasn't spiteful against me because I didn't choose to go to Virginia Tech the first time around. He wasn't he wasn't upset with me. He wasn't angry with me. And and for me, we just had a great relationship because I came I came in and I was just all about the right things. And he knew that he knew that I came there to 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 be a guy, to be a leader, to to make an impact for that for that team, for the defense, for the defensive line, for for everybody. And for me, he just kind of he's a, he's a man that I always respect, and he's a man that I always recognize that gave me gave me a chance that that ultimately could have changed that ultimately can change my life you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure you know <clears throat> like you said getting that opportunity and i mean i i love you being candid talking about when you had to enter the portal it was a low point um because when, when you came here you know we were as fans were excited because a lot of us knew the name from re- recruiting and stuff and you know you played your butt off last year, man. You played in a, in, a, in a very again another unusual year. You played your butt off, and um, l- let me ask this: I get away from that because I could go down roads, man. But I'm gonna try right. to do one course. Um, but you had talked about some of the cultural stuff in Clemson. What were kind of the differences, especially looking at the game to game prep um, in at Virginia Tech 
versus Clemson? Uh, game to game prep. I know we kind of had just for one, one of the main biggest things I noticed about as, as far as game prep, that was the difference is that at Clemson, we practice in like the later half of the afternoon and at Virginia Tech, we practice in the morning. Okay. Now you can ask who you want, but after being in four years of afternoon practices, leaving the facility at eight, nine o'clock some nights, I'm, I'm fully on board with morning practice. You know what I mean? Like just coming in, going through practice, just waking up and, 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 and just putting that time in for that little bit of time you're out there and then just going home and being done with your day around like noon. You know what I mean? It was just something that, that I wasn't really used to, but it was something that definitely benefited me because I was able to have more time to get treatment, more time to do things like that. But as far as prep goes, I mean, every program across the country, you can go anywhere, it's at any school, any level of college football, everybody's going to run their program differently. And for me, like, uh, Coach Coach Fuentes, I know Coach Fuentes mentioned in an interview, like, asking somebody had asked him something like, was was I coming in there and, like, just did I notice a difference or did I, like, try and critique anything? And for me, like, this this is the program Coach Fuentes has been running for, for years now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't expect uh, him, me to come in and start changing how things go. You know what I mean? Because ultimately I can tell him how, how one program is running, but – Clemson's not the only program that's running, like he's, they're not running a similar program to everybody else. Like everybody's running a different program, a different preparation type. And for me, it was definitely different, but it definitely had its similarities as well. You know, like like I mentioned, like we had a lot of player-led, player-led, there was a player-led team for us for real. And I feel like at Virginia Tech, we were all kind of like really close. Like for me, that was one of the groups where I know, like, with the history of Virginia Tech, a lot of guys transfer, a lot of guys transfer in, a lot of guys leave, a lot of things. Just a lot of things happen in, over the course of a season, over the course of a couple of years. But this is, like, one of the most tight-knit groups I've been around. And it's very player-led. And one thing I noticed is that the players respect each other. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for me, when I came in, Brock Hoffman was – and I've said in an, in an interview before, Brock Hoffman was one of the players that – I immediately respected just because of the way he worked, just because of the way he he was with the with the offensive line and the younger guys, just the way that the, the younger guys looked up to him. It was something that was really cool to see. So for me, like that 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 plays a huge part into a lot of a lot of team success. If you got guys that are like only a couple of guys are out there and not everybody's out there, then only those guys are really like getting that that advantage. You know what I mean? As yeah. a, as a, as opposed to a whole group being able to get some extra work in, get some extra knowledge in, watch a little bit extra film and things like that. So for me, I would say like that's something that 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 kind of surprised me, you know, just coming into a I'm a I'm a grad transfer coming into a brand new locker room. I'm I'm wondering like how guys are going to view me, like how guys are going to look at me, how guys are they going to accept me? Are they going to welcome me in, bring me in? Am I going to be a part of of the culture, the brotherhood and things like that? And for me, just seeing how fast all that happened for me kind of just made me feel a whole lot better about my decision. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Because I, I I will say this: I noticed like in fall when things were starting to ramp up, like the camaraderie you were having with like uh, like James Mitchell and Trey Turner, like right. cutting, cutting up during like interviews and stuff like that. Like it definitely seemed like y'all y'all really had like that family atmosphere going on pretty quick. Most definitely, it's awesome to hear. All right, so it is the Friday. Before Labor Day, 2021, mm-hmm. and you guys are sitting there in the locker room, and it's about 5:50, and you start the walk. 
just give us your thoughts and your experiences of that first one because for that was the first time lane had been filled since the last time we were there in 2019 and for a lot of people that was like the semblance of college football was back y'all were oranged out the crowd was orange give us your feelings walking down through the tunnel just for me, uh, that was actually my first game ever in Lane. I, I haven't been to Blacksburg on a visit, even in high school, for a game. I came for like a couple camps, just some recruiting visits, but I never been in Lane Stadium ever for a game, and, and that was gonna be my first time. And it just so happens that it's my my first game at Virginia Tech. It's against a ranked opponent. The game sold out. Like you said, we got the orange on. Like it was just. It was just chills. It's something that I'll definitely never forget. And, uh, like, there's so much more about it that, like, I wish I could say I remember, but it just kind of just happened. Like, being in the tunnel, I don't, like, everybody was asking me, like, what's it like What's it like running out to enter the Sandman? It was so loud for me. Like, I didn't even hear anything. I didn't hear the music. <laughs> it just sounded like one big just noise as you ran out the tunnel. And for me, like, I was so, I was just so eager. I was so hyped up. I didn't even know that the, that the players jumped into the stands with the corpse because I, I went and did it anyway. You know, I'm, it's my first time out there. Like, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do everything, right? So just enjoyed it. And then we went out there, and, and the results of the game just spoke for themselves as far as the the hype going up into that into that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's awesome to hear. And, like, you know, People make claims, but I mean, I still say there's there's no atmosphere like Lane, especially when it's packed, when it's a night yeah. game, um, when it's a big game. It's a right. big game, like big game. Anytime it's a big game, that that place just it rocks like none other. So so let's turn it to a little bit of you know a little more somber note here. So you know it's mid November, the team is five and five. You get the news, Coach Fuente has been removed as head coach. J.C. Price has been named interim. Was this move a shock to y'all in the locker room, or was this something where you kind of saw the writing on the wall as, as things were going into November? Um, For me, it was definitely something that we saw, like, happening in the near future. Definitely not on a Tuesday practice going into a game that could make us bowl eligible. You know what I mean? And every you can ask any college athlete, mm-hmm. Tuesday is such a pivotal part of – of preparation like Tuesday is like a full padded practice full speed it's your like one day of the week where you guys are really like hitting each other and really like getting actual game reps in and for us to be told this news before we go out on the field it just it, uh, it shocked everybody and I mean for for coach Price to because we all of us heard the news at the same time you know what I mean so for coach Price to get he coach price came in when i did so for him to get get in in what was that like mid-january we both got in in mid-january for him to hear this news that he's going to be not only like he's not working with the defensive line alone but he's going to be the head coach it was just something that kind of was just i know it was shocking for him as well but as like for us as a coach not even just for us but like as a coach like that that heard the exact same news that you heard at the same moment it's kind of like what can you like it's it's gonna be hard to keep a team locked in when when we just like you know what I mean when such a big change just happened in our in our locker room. So for us, we kind of just like I said, the the leaders on the team, the seniors, the older guys, 
just try to keep everybody locked in and, and keep them keep them focused on the task at hand, which was trying to be bowl eligible by the end of the season. Yeah, and and I can't imagine, you know, like you said, it was on a Tuesday when that happened. I, I can't imagine, you know, how how it felt for you guys because, you know, if, if it's and I'm not trying to say what what's right, what's right. Like if it's done on a Sunday, y'all have a y'all have a couple of days to you know decompress. Right. This is our new coach. This is how we're doing things. Um, but to get it, like you said, like on one of the biggest practice days, I mean, in right before it, not after, you know, that, that, that's definitely – I give you guys credit because y'all went out and y'all played y'all's asses off against Miami. Mm-hmm. Y'all did. Y'all played your asses off against Miami. And, you know, came up short in that game, not for a lack of effort. But then the next week, it's, you know, the game for the Commonwealth Cup. You guys going to Charlottesville. What did it mean to you? Because they had, uh, you know, you know, what did it mean to you to go in there and bring the cup back to Blacksburg? Uh, for me, it was huge. You know, I kind of I kind of knew a lot about the uh, the rivalry, but I didn't really like just like going leading up into the week, I didn't really like have that same hate. Like for me, for four years, all I know was those Gamecocks. You know what I mean? Like just I hate them, but like I knew yeah. why I hated them. Like I played there, I, I've I've been able to experience their fans and things like that. So for me, like my first trip to Charlottesville, uh, playing them, of course, it was it was crazy and like getting there, just being in the in the hotel, not even on the field, yeah, just being in the hotel. I'm like, I hate these guys. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I had that that same similar hate to them. And like just seeing how other guys went about the rivalry as well. Like the hype that goes into it, the real the real hatred, backyard brawl type of type of game it is. You know what I mean? It's something that I kind of just bought into, you know. I've never that was my first time ever playing in UVA. Um it was a moment where it made us bowl eligible. Uh, we kept the cup. We that was my first time ever being on a field that, like, on an opponent's field that got stormed by our fans. <laughs> that never happened to me. Before That's wild. Either. Yeah. So for me, it was just a, a all overall experience. My first time ever. Um, my first time ever. No, never mind. My first time ever. I was gonna say my first time ever smoking a cigar after the game, but I did after the UNC game. <laughs> uh, I got to drink out of the cup. Like for me, I, I, I told you, like I came to Virginia Tech, learned a lot about the traditions, about the things like that. And I had, I just felt like I had to experience all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like you were just soaking everything in the whole time, right? Definitely. You know, during the game, it's kind of like it was, it was that type of game where, where how it ended and things like that, but. After the game, that's that's when you just kind of got to soak all of it in. Like I wanted to be one of the last ones off the field, things like that. Just that's just a moment that's that's huge for you, a moment that you'll always be able to remember and tell your kids about. What was what was Coach Price in the locker room after that game? Because we got to see him on national TV. Right. I almost bring most of us fans to tears. But what was it like in the locker room after? Obviously, the on-field celebration was wild. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they heard you guys. Lane Stadium North. Lane, Lane Stadium, Stadium North, North right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no, nah, Coach Price, he was just – he really just just made it a point to express to us how proud he was of us. You know, 
I don't think there was any team in, in college in all of college football last year that had to that had to deal with what we had to deal with. You know what I mean? We had so much things going on in our program that that was like a lot was out of our control, but it was it was something that we just had to deal with and something that we had to take on and, and accept and, and work through every day. So for us to to pull out a big game like that against those those that one team down the street, it kind of was just huge for us, you know, like it was something that like it was a moment where like I said, all that 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 tight bond that that I told you guys about, it kind of just it made it all like seem real. You know what I mean? Guys were hugging on guy, guys taking pictures with the cup in the locker room, guys on on the phone with their parents, on the phone with all their friends and things like that. Like it was just a it was really a cool moment to be a part of. And, the, and the, I feel like just how it ended was just it made it even more better. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a little stressful during the time, but how I just how it ended definitely just made everything. It just made the moment complete. Yeah, I mean, you guys had so many close calls in the first part of the season, and then you had all the turmoil that happened in in November. Um, you know, with with Coach Fuentes uh, getting relieved there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that was just like, all right, well we got one, we turned it around, we we finished the way we wanted to finish right. and we did it at our rival's field. And, and I, I just can't imagine how good the feeling that was after, after the kind of the way that season it went down. Right. It was such a good feeling. <laughs> so let's turn to this. I know after the season you, you've declared for the draft um, during this process, where have you been working out and who have you been preparing with? Um, I went so after I uh, I opted out of the bowl game. I went back home, spent Christmas with my family. Probably my first. I think it was my first Christmas ever being at home. Uh, you know, being in being at Clemson, we were always playing on. Like we really didn't even get to be home for Christmas. We were always traveling and practicing during Christmas time. So I was yeah. able to spend spend Christmas at home with my family, and then I shortly after that I flew out to Fort Lauderdale, and I was training at a gym called Perform uh, in Davie. So I trained there for three months, uh, got a lot of good work, met a lot of good people. And after that, came back here for pro day. And and since then, I kind of just been, you know, just working out on your own, just just work, coming up with workout plans. A lot of guys like to go back to the facility they trained at. A lot of guys just do different things. But for me, you know, I've just been been putting in work on my own. I've been in Florida. I've been I've been here in Blacksburg doing some work. And after I leave here for after the spring game, I plan on going back to back to Virginia Beach and doing putting in some more work just until the draft. You know, you just kind of want to just just always stay ready, just stay in shape because you just never know where your where your journey is going to end up at. Absolutely. Um, how did you feel about your pro day um, down in Blacksburg? I know it was a ton of folks there. Um, how do you feel about that? Uh, no, it was exciting. You know, I definitely had the nerves all like. It's kind of like going into a game almost, you know what I mean? Like it is and it isn't, except like the guys that are the scouts and the guys that are watching you, they're right in front of your face at, at pro day. You know what I mean? So it just makes that margin yeah. for error a lot smaller. But after you kind of go through, you're going through your first couple of drills, it kind of just is really just you and you out there. You know what I mean? Is you against yourself. Uh, you know, you know the type of caliber player you are. You know your abilities. You know, you know what you can do. And now all there's left to do is just go out there and do it, regardless of who's around you, regardless of who's watching. So for me, it was definitely it was definitely exciting. I feel like I was able to go out and display everything that I needed to display. Uh, a lot of the questions that scouts had on me, I was able to go out there and really just display those things and show them that I can, I am who I say I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and the, the nerves thing, man, I think that's anything you care about or want. If, if you're not nervous, then, you know, it's like, is there any passion in you? Right. That's, that's, that's what, you know, that's what I've known. You know, that's what I've always felt throughout my life. Cause if you're, if you're nervous about something, you care. And when you care, it definitely shows. Oh, we got a question here from uh, Coach Robbie Compton. Can you see that, Jordan? Yeah, I can see it. And if you could pick his team in the draft, where would he want to go? Ooh. I mean, I've always, growing up, always been a, um, a Redskins fan. The Commanders now, but always been a Redskins fan. Um, for me now, though, you know, just being, being older, knowing what's going on, like NFL, I want to go somewhere where it's nice. Nice weather, great weather year round. You know what I mean? I'd be fortunate enough for whoever whoever picked me up, whoever drafts me, whoever signs me. But if I had to choose, I'm definitely going to go towards the sun and towards the warm weather. You know what I mean? All those so, you've, been, you've been training down in Florida. You, you right. got one of those Florida I teams in mind? Florida. I love Florida. <laughs> you've, been, you've been training in Florida since January. I mean, you didn't – like you went from the cold of Blacksburg. and I know you guys were up in New York City right. to – what seventy five and sunny every day, right? All the time. It was it was crazy, <laughs> man. So have have you had a chance to talk to any teams directly um, throughout this process so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, I talked to a lot of teams on pro day. Um, I've had some interviews with a, a few teams uh, after the process. I know the Titans, the uh, Chargers, the the 49ers are a few of the teams, but. Yeah, I mean, this is always on the phone, always talking to talking to different scouts, always filling out filling out questionnaires, doing assessments and things like that. Like it's a real process and it's really getting down to towards the end where now we're gonna figure out where, where guys are gonna wind up at. <laughs> so throughout the process, I know you talked about filling out questionnaires. What's the weirdest question that you've encountered throughout those interviews and those questionnaires? Ooh, <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, I feel like you're not really supposed to think too hard about them. But I mean, there's some questions where it kind of like, I wouldn't say they're weird, but they're kind of questions that make you want to like second guess. You know, it's like, is this a trick question kind of question? Like, they'll just ask you just, just things that they'll just be like, what's like one of the hardest things you've gone through? And it's like, you're about to tell a scout that you that that you never met, that doesn't really know you. Like something that that really like challenged you throughout your whole life, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, there's different questions. Like, I know one scout asked me who um if there was anybody in the world, anybody in the world I could eat eat a meal with, like eat dinner with, who dead or alive, who would it be? And it's like that's not a that's not a weird question, but it's a question where it's like like I would never expect you to ask me that like where like you're an NFL scout looking yeah. to 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 sign me to draft me and you're asking me who's one person I would want to like have a meal with dead or alive like that's just something that kind of for me like it makes you think a different type of way you yeah I mean? you don't want to underthink it but you don't want to overthink yeah, it either yeah exactly you don't want to think <laughs> too much about it you just kind of want to just just have a have a name ready and just throw it out there and, and just be able to stand on it stand firm by it. it it's true those are those are the old um <laughs> Those are the old. Who's talking? Is it? Yeah, my, my, my old teammates. No, no, no. It's good. 
I couldn't, Brian, I didn't know if your dog had slipped in the room there. I saw the cat a few minutes ago. But those questions, <laughs> uh, they're like HR uh, 101 type questions. Everybody gets right. asked in any field. Like, But it's funny they ask it because, like you said, it's like, I'm trying to be a professional football player. What's this got to do with football? Technique <laughs> and shade and, you know, these plays. You're going to ask me about, by the way, um, dead or alive, who, who would you want to have dinner with? My 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 name that I gave was Martin Luther King. That was my name, and I feel like now that like now that I've already answered it, now that I, I when I gave the answer, I told you I just gave it out there. Like oh, that, yeah. was, that was the person that came to mind that I, that I was ready to, to to have a meal with. But for me, like that's an answer that I can definitely stand on and, and stand by. You know what I mean? Absolutely, one hundred percent. So, yeah, Jordan. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're wrapping up here, and if you guys who are watching us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, we're on Instagram tonight, Brian. Twitch. Twitch, Instagram, we're on everywhere. <laughs> Bottom of your screen is all of Jordan's info. Um, check out his NIL apparel line right there. Jordan Williams apparel. Jordan-Williams-apparel.myshopify.com. You follow him at underscore blessed underscore 23 on Twitter or jwill12 underscore on Instagram. Um, you know, our, our buddy who asked you that question, he also said if you get drafted by the commanders, he will buy your jersey. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, I only got one 49ers jersey. If you get drafted by the 49ers, <laughs> I got you. I'll, I'll do. It. <laughs> I'll get it taken care of for sure. I'll I'll I'll, I'll buy one, Brian. You do it. I mean, I, I'll get one too. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's a Colts fan, so I'm a Colts fan. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you had any conversations up there with uh, with Chris Ballard at all, but you know. <laughs> but, but Jordan, we thank you for you know taking your time tonight, man, to speak with us on all this. Um, it was awesome, your insight. Um, man, the best of luck to you, you know, with the NFL stuff. But beyond that, I think the type of person you are, and it shows here tonight, whatever you do next, I believe you're going to be successful in it, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys so much. And thank you guys for having me and just being able to tell a little bit about myself and about my journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know Hokie Nation appreciates everything that you you did for 21 coming in and and being a leader on that team and just, you know, the, the man that you are and the way you carry yourself. So we appreciate that. And I know they do as well. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, Jordan, you have yourself a good rest of your weekend. For those who are going to the spring game, Jordan's in Blacksburg. Look for him. He'll be all around, I'm sure. Most definitely. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. As we wrap up here with Jordan, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners before we jump into previewing the spring game. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right. And hey, guys. And new, new ad graphic. What you think? <laughs> I told you it looked good yesterday, man. Brian, Brian, 
doing a little uh, handiwork there with his uh, graphic design. Good job, big. Well, the, the live read was was uh, pre-taped uh, at the old house. I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, let's go ahead and and, and and dress it up a little bit more too. Have fun. Uh, before we move on to our other topics, again, we can't thank Jordan Williams for joining us enough tonight. Great human being, great individual. Brian, I hope you can connect with him over the uh, weekend up in the Berg if you see him. But, uh, man, that, that, I, I tell you, that, that story about that Tuesday, that's – man, that's, yeah. I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole lot to process while you're trying to, you know, prepare for Big game. a rival opponent on the road. <laughs> Huge, huge. All right, so before we get into spring game, there are three things we are going to cover here tonight, guys. And first, Brian, we finally got one in the boat. We got one in the boat. Yes, sir. And, of course, it had to be an interior offensive lineman, Lance Williams, 6'4", 306, out of Alcoa, Tennessee. A three-star with additional offers from App State, Cincinnati, and Georgia Tech. Brian, uh, what do you think of Lance? Uh, preliminary tape review. I mean, he looks like he's got a nasty gene, which I like to see, and I think that's going to bode well for um, what Coach Rudolph is trying to do with this offensive line. Um, and I, I think he kind of fits right into that mold of that that style of lineman that, that Rudolph has typically uh, recruited. Um, you know, time will tell if he's going to be able to um, – you know, make the transition into a, you know, rotational 2D player or starter. But I think this is a good start for the 23 class, especially at a, at a position where we need some depth. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've got to replenish the lines. I mean, with, without a doubt, you know, and you feel like with Rudolph, it's one of those, the way he's developed, not only high caliber, you know, or high rated offensive linemen, the last guy he had that turned into an All-American at Wisconsin was a two-star guy that legitimately had – he was their offer. Yep. So, it, it, you feel like the – you feel like Joe Rudolph probably has a knack for finding the guys he wants. And like you said, you can't teach nasty. You can teach the other stuff. All right. Next note announced today, Brian, as you've been saying over and over and over – we ain't mom and pops anymore. When Sheridan no. donates $5 million to update the locker room. Five large. And that, that's going to be big. Um, we, we said it, uh, we said it earlier today that, uh, that might be, uh, what, what, what do we say? We said that that might be some, uh, some slide money. Yeah. Some, some pool slide money. Thank it's you. not going to quite be Florida Cabana money. Not the Cabana money. Um, I saw some people say get get a good barbershop in there. Um, I'm sure – how about sleep pods like they have at LSU? Although I would just like to know the cost of one sleep pod for my house. Yeah, I would like one of those. I could just put that in my desk here. Um, the home office, take a nap midday, you know. Th- that That would definitely be – the ideal setup here for me <laughs> bigger pieces. And we, and we've seen some of the pictures in the locker room is significantly dated. Um, oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it was, it was dated eight years yeah, ago. It, it probably, it probably should have been updated in like 2010, but we digress on that. But seeing this sort again, the money keeps rolling in, you know, along with everything else we've seen in the last, you know, really six months to a year, 
the, the money's coming and it's time to get the facilities where they should be. Um, you know, I, I can't wait. And me and Brian, we were talking today. I think this is something we see revealed. What we say, Brian, next, like about a year from now. Yeah, I would think so. I think they, if, you know, depending on where they're at in the planning stages of this, I don't know if they already had, you know, plans ready to go, just waiting on the funding to come in or, or what the situation is. But if that's the case, getting this turned around before you start getting some of the big junior days next year, or at least before the spring game next year, mm-hmm. um, that would be the probably ideal scenario where when you get a lot of those big recruits on campus, you know, they're not just looking at a poster. They're not just looking at promotional material. They're looking at the real deal. Absolutely. And, yeah, to be able to have them walk in there and see it live in living color, huge. But also, you know, huge for the guys there currently, right? Like, no, hey, you're fighting to be one of the guys that gets here. So it's awesome. Other thing, there is definitely going to be something NIL-related getting announced tomorrow at Virginia Tech. Um, some of the some of the known Virginia Tech NIL um, uh, Twitters are – they're basically – they're sending out the signals that something's coming up. Yeah, some, something big's happening. Keep, uh, keep your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes um, peeled. I know one was performance. I saw two tweets. One was at like 5 o'clock today and one was at like 6. Yeah. So it was just kind of like something's happening. And I love the timing of it too. I really like the timing of it because you're talking about announcing this and probably, what, Friday – all the kids are going to be coming in for the visit for the official spring game. So you're announcing, you're making this announcement as they walk in, you have something immediately to talk about, not only the locker room, but the NIL deals. Yeah. You, you got a selling point right out the gate for, and, and you've got a large number of, of, of kids coming in. So you're not just, you don't, you don't just have something new to sell, but you got a lot of eyes that are ready to listen. Absolutely. A lot of ears and eyes that are ready to listen. Eyes ready to look, ears ready to listen. Yep. All right. Well, let's flip it now, Brian. Let's take a look and start doing a little preview of the spring game, things we're looking for, and a lot of other things as well. But let's start with the format, which Coach Pry announced today in his press conference. Um, there are going to be two rosters and two staffs, and essentially Coach Pry is working on splitting that up. So – Brian, I, me and you've been talking about it. We're probably going to get pretty even teams, and we're not going to probably see some guys play together that we were expecting to. Yeah, I mean, there's there's positives and negatives to this format. Um, you know, the positives are, you know, you get to see a lot of guys working with various ones and twos, so you get a good mix of how everybody that's going to be in the rotation for significant snaps come fall how they're going to work. They're going to get a good good amount of snaps. What you don't get to see is you don't get to see how the the first line or the second line are gelling or how this player, you know, works with that player because they may be on separate squads. So you might not see, you know, Wells throwing to blue. You know, you might you don't, you don't see that starting five on the offensive line altogether. You're probably going to have um, Silas Dancy and – 
Johnny Jordan probably on separate lines because they're probably going to be the leaders of their respective units. So there, there's going to be things like that that you don't get to see. But what you do get to see is probably a better, more entertaining game. Uh, and we're, we're talking about four 12-minute quarters. The first half's going to have a normal clock. Second half's going to have a running clock. But when you have those mostly evenly matched teams, you're going to get a better product. And that's going to, that's going to, I think, benefit them from a more casual or typical fan perspective versus guys like us that like really like to dig into the minutia of the roster, the depth chart and, you know, breaking down what's happening on the field. Um, I I think for, for those, for those casual fans and for those fans that just, you know, are showing up to have a good time uh, and and enjoy the game. I think that's, they're going to probably get the best product um, this way. They're definitely going to get the best product, but I even think for guys like us and, you know, followers of our account and other folks who are deeper into it, you're going to start seeing more names, right? Like my, my thought is Dax Hollyfield now and Tisdale will not be at Mike and Will together. It's probably going to be Dax and probably Jaden Keller at Will. And, and you know, you've heard Prize speak a couple of times that he's making some, you know, inroads, you know, and, and the same thing with corners. You, you might see Jaden Blue go against um, Elijah Howard, who was mentioned today of having a pretty good camp be a younger guy so like so if we if you see a guy you don't know and he's starting to make strides immediately he's on your radar watch him get the fall camp and that's what is really cool about this format um but you know sometimes you just want to see one ones and see who can run it the best but let's get into it brian let's start with the quarterback room and um from the sounds of it it feels like well, Grant Wells might have a little bit of an advantage going into the spring game. Do you feel that way from hearing Brad talk last week, Tyler talk, and then Coach Pry talk a few times? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, he's won the uh, the spring baller award for the offense. So he's got that under his belt. Um, he's been the name that even when – both Wells and Brown have been mentioned. Wells's name has been brought up first consistently. Um, And I don't know whether that's just by default or whether that's something, uh, there's something to that, but it seems like Wells has the advantage. It was mentioned that, you know, it looks like he's throwing a pretty good deep ball, um, has good command of the offense. Um, The coaches have mentioned that both Wells and Brown have only thrown one pick during scrimmages um, as of our, our, our last talk there. So, that's a good sign, um, and especially for Wells, who did have, um, you know, some concerns with interceptions um, during his time at Marshall. Yeah. So that's good to hear. Both above sixty-five percent completion percentage during those scrimmages. Um, the question is going to be: Is you know, are these going to Wells and Brown? Are they going to be the 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 one guys for their respective squads? Um, it sounds like they are. Yeah, and that's gonna that's gonna give us a pretty good look at what they're able to bring to the table. Um, you're not you're not worrying about splitting snaps or whether you know Brown's working with mostly twos and Wells is working with mostly ones. You get a good mix for both, so you really can kind of see how these quarterbacks handle those situations. Yeah, and the whole thing now about the snap count is uh, us as you know kind of paying you know in the minutia fans 
we're not going to be worrying about that anymore because they're probably going to get the same number of snap counts with the ones or with their respective ones, right? Yep, exactly. So, exactly. you know, that was something we thought about looking in. If they're going to play it another way where it's more defense offense, what we might be seeing is, all right, well, Wells got, you know, he got 50, you know, he got 20 more snaps. He's clearly leading, but we're not going to be able to see that. So maybe we get a decision, maybe we don't. Um, now, what I'm going to be more interested in, Brian, is who, what weapons they give to each quarterback. We keep hearing, you said it already, Grant Wells, deep ball accuracy. Well, what if their decision on him is the best deep ball guy they're going to put over with Jason Brown? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how those matchups are, are are set up. You know, whether, you know, you get Blue on one side, Lofton on the other, whether whether Blue and Lofton are going to be together. I feel like those are probably the two most potent weapons at the wide receiver position that we're going to have come fall. Um, Blumrick. The question is, are, yeah, Blumrick, where, where is he going to be? I mean, well, we know he's not a quarterback anymore, but is he going to be <laughs> – you know, that you know, third or fourth tight end, or is he just going to be a guy that they, you know, drop on one squad and see what he can do at, at, at multiple positions there. So yeah. that's going to be interesting to follow as well. And then, you you know, we've obviously haven't even talked about, you know, Taj Bullock and Devin Farrell here who yeah. are, you know, rounding out the quarterback room. Um, yeah, okay. I think the big thing to watch for them is going to be mechanics. You know, yeah. which, which of those two is, is bringing sound mechanics and and looks good with their release and it has a good command of where they want to go with the football. Yeah, the other thing about it you mentioned the uh, the two essentially the the two guys in the running for the starting are over 65%. Coach also mentioned Todd and Devin both 65% plus completion percentage um in their time as well. He did not mention interceptions, but I expect the two younger guys to have a few more. But the other thing is, you know, who's out there barking the instructions? Because they're t- they're essentially going to get a significant amount of snaps. Who commands yeah. the huddle? Who commands the team better? Who gets a chance to go out there, for example, you know, let's say it's Brown and Bullock, and they've got Jaden Blue. Do they get the opportunity to go out there and play with Jaden Blue? Um, or, you know, some of the other guys we're perceiving to be, um, you know, contributors on the offense. And yeah, that that's a big one. And I, I think the other thing, when we look at who ideally could emerge as that third quarterback for this fall, and even looking long term, I think you you kind of want it to be Taj, right? And and I, and I think the reason, aside from his having one extra year in the system, but also my thing is, you know. Pry and others have mentioned the position flexibility that Farrell has. Yeah. Um, you know, there might be, you know, some options with him moving to another position as need be or as as is better for our roster. Yeah. Um, so Taj taking the lead um in that group may be the preferred outcome just because of that flexibility. It may be, but I think it's gonna be in that case, whoever is the third best quarterback is gonna be the third best quarterback. And I think that battle is going to go into fall camp. I think yeah. whoever wins that job is going to be running scout teams. And then the other guys essentially going to have to find, you know, a home to do something, whomever it is. So it'll be really interesting. All right, Brian, let's flip over. Let's look at the O-line next. 
Um, tell me what you're looking for because you're going to be there in person. You're going to be able to see it live. What are you looking for from these guys? So the big thing I'm looking for is nastiness, uh, especially when I'm looking at the gap scheme plays um, along that offensive line. I'm looking for assignment soundness. Um, I want to make sure they understand where they need to be, um, how how they need to approach that block. They're taking the right steps. They're not taking false steps. I'm looking for pass pro um, that is at a level that's acceptable at this point. I think there's some guys in this, even in the first group, that their pass pro is still coming along. They might get beat here or there. Uh, but if we can see improvement and we can see a pretty steady hand in pass pro, I think that's what we're looking for. And the last thing, um, looking to see who can be a part of that seven and eight man rotation. We kind of know the first five is pretty locked in. Um, so how are they pairing those that second group with some of those starters in this matchup? And who in those groups is kind of taking the next step? Um, to really show that they can be part of a seven or eight man rotation in the fall, and you know, I'll ask this question to see if if what you think. Um, does Johnny Jordan do a good job of making those around him better? Because I feel like that is the a, a key factor when we look at both spring and then what we're looking at long term in the fall. I think we're going to find that out Saturday. I honestly do because what I what I think is going to happen with I think we're going to look at something like whoever's lined up with Johnny that doesn't have Silas on their left, whether it be Bob Schick or whether it be Jesse Hansen, how good do they play? And then I'm sure the coaches have notes to say, well, you know, let's say Bob gets I mean, Bob's playing great today with Johnny. Well, shit. When Jesse was there with Johnny, Jesse was playing great. Um, maybe not so much on the right side. That's where I'm – that's what's going to be fascinating about Saturday is to see how the linemen go. You know, is it going to be – again, I, I think you're 100% right. I think Johnny and Silas are going to be on opposite sides. I really do think that. But then what do you do? You Do you, do you, do you book in tackles and then let, you know – do you let multiple guards? Do you do you let do you let the guards like let all the interior play together and keep Schick on the same side where you can rotate him in? I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with this. And you know, Brent Price said today he felt like the offensive line has progressed, has been he's been presently surprised with how they've progressed, which is a good sign. Is it also a good sign a guy like Bryce Goodner gets moved to defensive tackle? It's got to be right. I mean, the, the fact that you're less concerned about the second or third team offensive line compared to the second or third team defensive line that that says that you're in a better place than we thought we would be, and it also you know bodes well for the defensive tackle depth long term and for Goodner getting on the field faster, which I think is something that was important to him. Exactly. So. I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna be probably getting here late. I'm gonna probably miss the game. We've got a, a you know everybody knows I'm not gonna be here. Sports on Saturday. I mean I'm probably gonna pause the TV. Maybe they'll get some back angles. Uh, I know Brian. I think you need to be what West stands. 
uh, right side. So you're facing kind of where we were in 06, where you get that kind of that perfect view of the backside of the offensive line. Because I, the combos are going to be so interesting. Who they play with. And, I mean, does anybody jump out to you? I think that's going to be interesting when we talk next week and we talk probably – I'm not going to call you Saturday because you're going to have your son with you. You're going to be all sorts of – but when we talk Sunday, I- I'm expecting you to say a name like this person is going to be in the two deep, and I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that that's what I'm going to try to identify, see who, who is playing above their uh, their, their their expected level. Um, like Because like, like we said, we know that – you know, maybe Jesse Hansen aside, the, the the first five we can, yeah, we're, we're pretty solid on. We trust them. We trust them to go out there and and, uh, and play. And that's not to say we don't trust Jesse Hansen. We just haven't seen enough of him to to know whether that's that's something we can trust or not. We, we, um, we haven't seen him play enough. And and what I think what made us feel better last week was hearing Bob Schick's name finally, finally, something yeah. other than the the five we know about finally breaking through. Hopefully. Yeah, and if you can get two more guys to go along with him, then you got an eight-man rotation, and then you feel pretty decent. Again, I'm more concerned about center than I am necessarily guard or tackle just because I think Johnny Jordan is going to be somewhat unreplaceable in, in that offensive line. 100%. All right, we'll flip next, Brian. Let's look at the skill positions the wide receiver and the tight end. We've already mentioned his name once. Let's mention it again. Connor Blumrick, I mean, are we expecting him to – I mean, is he going to be an OW? Is he just going to be all over the place? Or do we think, you know, they're going to stick him at just tight end or just big slot? What do you foresee? I see mostly wing and big slot, um, but I think – he he's going to be deployed a lot of different ways across. Once we get into the fall, once the playbook is fully open, I think he's going to be deployed in a lot of different ways. But in terms of what I think we see on Saturday in the spring game, I think he's going to be deployed pretty much as a wing and a big slot. Um, and that's not to say that's a bad thing. That's just, you know, we're, we're taking, we're taking a building blocks approach and that's step one is getting him, where he's comfortable doing those things. Um, and then we can really stretch out, you know, okay, well, with his skill set, how can we get him even more involved in the offense? Whether that's in throwing him screens, whether that's in using him um, in the running game and using him in a, in a trick play variety where he's throwing the football. I mean, there, there's so many different things that you can do with that type of player. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we see a whole lot of that Saturday. I think we see mostly – Lining up at the wing, lining up at the at, at the big slot. Yeah. So I think Saturday's just gonna get him used to being in a game environment, which it was mentioned last Saturday. They did a full game ops, which they're not doing this Saturday because they're splitting everybody up. Full game ops basically, who was ever gonna be up top is gonna be up top. All the sideline folks were there, the communications. They did a true game of how they're setting it up to be um in the fall. But yeah. I, I think for him, it's just get him comfortable. Fight, make some passes. You know, run an end around with him, just so they can see where they want to go with him on Saturday. All right, Brian, we'll give you seven names. 
distribute them amongst the maroon and the white teams. You ready? Yep. Jaden Blue, Stephen Gosnell, Caleb Smith, Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jones, Dalen Wright, Christian Moss. We know there are more wide receivers. These are the names we've heard more of than anyone. So, Brian, give me give me how you would mix them. Uh, I would probably go Jalen Blue right, and I'd probably go Smith. Lofton, Gosnell, and then you can put Moss on either side there. All right. How about this? You give uh, you give Moss to the blue team, and the other team gets Gallo. Seem like a fair trade? That's a fair trade. You know, the most productive wide receiver. Um, what are you looking for as you put these guys on their team? Is it? Is it routes? Is it where they're playing? What What's going to be more your eyeball test on Saturday? So there's big things like, you know, we want to see how the route tree is developing. I think that's important. But I think what's more important is how each of those players is being deployed within the scheme of the offense. That's what's intriguing me more. Like who's who's primarily lining up in the slot? I think it's probably going to be Blue and Lofton, but – Let's see what happens on Saturday. Uh, you know, who's who's at the X? Who's at the Z? Um, what are they doing uh, at those positions? What what type of routes are they running? What are, are How are they getting involved in the offense? Um, that's more important to me, um, but I do want to see that route tree and, um, you know, more creative use of the route tree than we saw from the previous regime. Yeah, that, that's definitely a big thing is to see uh, the more creative use. We know it's going to be a vanilla game plan, but even vanilla game plans, you can show your route tree. I think you, from looking at the Fordham tape and looking at the Penn State game, you're, we're already seeing the, a significantly larger route tree and pass development type game. So that that doesn't worry me, but I'm, I'm with you. And what stinks about not having offense versus defense is like for example, let's say Jaden Blue is in the slot with Caleb and Gosnell. But when Dwayne Lofton comes in, Jaden doesn't leave the field. Jaden goes to the X, Caleb goes off the field, Gosnell. That's what we're not going to get to see. Because yeah. we see those different combos. And from the way we've seen, you know, and we've already talked about with Tyler Bowen's potential offense. There's going to be things like that, like, oh, he's at X, but this guy comes in who's a better X. He's slipping down the slot. The Y is going off the field because we're going double tight here. Something like that. Yeah, that, that's the question, and we probably won't see it because, you know, if if we're talking about the difference between the guys that are going to be out there in the first run and then your best three players at the receiver position, that might be two different sets of three players, right? Um, you know, you might – have a first line that looks like, you know, Smith, Blue, and Gosnell, just throwing three names out there. Um, but, you know, you want to get Loft in a lot of touches, but he, he's going to primarily line up at slot. Blue, Blue's the better slot, but your best three wide receivers are potentially Smith, Blue, and Loft. And do you, do you, if you bring Loft in, does 
blue slide over? Is that something where they're not necessarily going to be on the field at the same time? I don't know. We haven't seen the tendencies of that, how, how the coaching staff's going to handle that. Um, you know, is it going to be the the best three are going to, are going to get the, the, the first reps and the most reps, or is it going to kind of be a mix and match, uh, you know, depending on, you know, who needs a blow and the game flow and what, what we need from the passing offense versus, you know, if we're, if we're managing the game from a rushing standpoint, it might be better to keep those first three that I mentioned out there yeah. and, and not necessarily have blue and Lofton on the field at True. the same time. So, 100%. you know, it, it could all be dictated by game flow. Yep. And that's things we're not going to see until September. So, you know, book that down that first game, the Friday before Labor Day again. <laughs> uh, we'll start finding out those things. Um, obviously, tight end with Drake and with Gallo locking down the first two. You know, who's going to come out as that third option? I know a lot of people are saying well, that's going to be Blumlick. Our opinion is Blumlick's going to be everywhere. So don't guarantee him as the third option. But you've got Gosnell and you've got St. Germain already, you know, already with the team. Benji Gosnell, not Steven. And you've got Daquan Wright coming on. Um, do you think we're going to figure out who the third tight end is? Because obviously this week, if Gosnell's playing, you're going to have Drake on one side, you're going to have Gallo on the other, likely. And you're going to have St. Germain and him on it. Yeah, I mean, it, the question is going to be, does Benji Gosnell, is he at a point now where he can play an actual scrimmage and, and, and do significant things? I'm not sure if he's there yet. I mean, last we heard from David Cunningham two weeks ago, he was still more or less rehabbing, wearing a blue jersey during these practices. So I don't know if he's come far enough since then where that's something that we can actually get a look at or if that's you know something that's going to be saved for the fall. Now, what I think is going to happen – this is this is me is that you know you're going to end up having Saint Germain kind of being that fourth tight end um third not counting Connor Blumrick um for this spring game and unless he pops i think this is going to be Wright's job in the fall woo Brian calls it Daquan Wright's going to be the third tight end in the fall um i mean he's he's got the athleticism to definitely make you that joker to bring a little bit of a change of pace to that position room. So we shall see. Now, there is an upside to what we're doing here, Brian, with the split squads and all that. We're going to actually probably figure out with the running back room who's in and who's out. Yeah, yeah, that that's going to be – we're going to get a good look at at most of these running backs. You know, I think you're going to – in this format – you're going to have the lead back get somewhere around 10 touches. You're going to have probably one or two more guys get more than five touches in, in uh, on both sides of the, uh, of the squads there. Yeah. So you're going to get probably six, six to seven guys that are going to get at least five carries in these, in these matchups. So that's going to be interesting to see who, what they do with those carries. Um, you know, we've heard Keyshawn King has caught the coach's attention the last few practices and, you know, last scrimmage. Um, you know, is he climbing up the depth chart or is he still kind of more of a situational and uh, special teams contributor? We've heard Malachi Thomas's name a lot, and they've said he's the most well-rounded and has picked up the offense quickly. So he's – let's go ahead and put him in there as, as the lead option, right? He's the one. He's, he's, he's kind of 1A right now heading into the spring game by all accounts. 
Yeah, I want to go back to Keyshawn King real quick because with his explosiveness, with his value on special teams, I mean, and especially the last few weeks out, he has been getting talked more and more up. He brings value. Yeah, he's going to have a role in the fall regardless of of where he ends up on the running back depth chart because of his skill set. And then there's Chance Black, who we know has value at kick return. 100%. 100%. Malachi is the most consistent guy. Book him as your one. But then they're talking about doing things with chance in five wide sets. And, yeah. And, and what you're what, what I'm hearing is there's probably four guys, with the three we've just mentioned, and Jalen Holston, who are almost guaranteed roles. You, also, yeah. you have Bryce Duke, who's a freshman. If he does anything, great. So there's really like, is it four for one? Is that what we can say, or is it four for two between Hampton? Um, yeah, I think I think it's four for maybe two, um, maybe two. Yeah, and I mean, let's go back real quick before we talk about those other guys. But let's talk a little bit more about Chance Black. You mentioned five wide receiver sets. That gives you so much flexibility with the hurry up, no huddle, right? Hell yeah, because you because you can go five wide, then you still got a running back on the on there that you can easily slide back into the backfield. And and keep it moving. There, you don't really have a drop off. Nope, none at all. So that that's the big thing. But yeah, you know, the, you know, the question we've talked about who's going to mix in for those carries. But you know, who who are the guys that potentially, you know, could be looking at the portal if they don't have success on Saturday? Um, you know, we we've mentioned um, you know a few names here. I think you know we got Brunson, we got Lee Hampton, Marco Lee, Kenji Chris. Um, Kenji Christian, I, th- I think Kenji, based on where he is in his time at Virginia Tech, he's probably not a- as high on that list in terms of of, of trans- uh, portal potential, just because I think he still has a year potentially to uh, to move up the depth chart, and obviously there'll be some natural attrition with uh, with at least uh, Hol- uh, Holston moving on um, yep. after this season, so. You know, I think he's still got a a path to get some carries, if not in the fall, you know, probably sometime next season. Whereas some of these other guys, this is it. This is put up or shut up because you're you're getting passed by guys younger than you, and there's another class with a new coach coming in starting next year. And the biggest piece is flexibility. The other the other three guys that are a little older, which essentially this would be their junior. There are juniors technically in. Um, yeah. Juniors are, are either redshirt juniors or redshirt sophomores yeah, by, they're three by traditional guys. accounts. Yeah. It's it's, there's no flexibility. There's no special teams. You know, there's no return value. Um, you, again, you don't normally see running backs on punt block units or, you know, on punt protection or kick protection units. Very, very unheard of. Where Chance and Keyshawn, we know and we've seen them be successful on the kick returns. When you don't have that added element or Chance Black, who we know can catch passes, it, 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 you're, you're a one pony and you've got to do this. And when you know there's a guy like Holston, who's kind of the leader of the room, and then there's a guy that when the coaches are now saying Malachi is just consistent, which means it sounds like it's something Stu Holt has already talked about, and Malachi said it. You want to be you want to be known as good. Be consistent because if you're yep. consistent, you know what are people going to say about you? 
You'll give them the ball. Well, coaches, the, the coaches love things that, that, that are predictable and Game that right. they can account for. Exactly, 100%. <laughs> All right, Brian, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball next. And let's start with the defensive line. Much like the offensive line now, um, who's mixed in with who? Yeah, that's the big question, right? That and especially with all the attrition and position changes we've seen, you know, a lot of this is going to be brand new names. Um, it, it, oh yeah, it's going to be like I know that person. It's, it, it's almost going to be like this. It's going to be like I know your name, but I've never seen you take a defensive line snap ever. ever. Well, it's going <laughs> to be like you're going to have like on the defensive line. It's going to be like Cole Nelson and Josh Fuga. On the yeah. other side, it's going to be Pollard, and it's going to be Garbo. And then in between there are the guys that we're going to be like, know your name, never seen you play. And yeah, you'll probably have, you'll have Gunner mixed in there. You'll have Panay mixed in there. Gunner, Panay, uh, Stretch Carroll, uh, McCray. That's going to be just just fascinating to watch, to see how they blend that. Yeah. Because we do need a 2D. We've been hearing C.J. McCray's name more um, and more. Yeah, I mean, is he, is he pushing for – Kind of that second line now. Um, you know, we we haven't heard Stretch Carroll. Haven't heard his name any. Yeah, so, you know, is, is McCrae passing him in terms of too deep? Uh, you know, who, who's to say? I mean, we know, um, you know, we know we got Jalen Griffin hasn't really done a whole lot in the spring. Uh, Eli Adams. Um, Eli Adams. Um, you know, we know that they'll be there in the fall, but who's going to be that, that reliable um, – you know, second in on that two deep, that, that's still up for grabs in this spring game. Uh, and then who's going to be that third line, which, I mean, we're going to need a third line yeah. uh, going into this season. I mean, you know, it, I talk about it all the time. You know, you, your first and second line give you about 80 to 90% of the snaps, but you need that third line to give you that 10 to 20% yep. to get you over the hump. And yep. we're gonna need that third line of that of that D line to to show up. So we're gonna need to see what these guys have in spring, so we can kind of know what we're, we'll be working with in the fall. Yep, gonna be fascinating to watch that, and gonna be fascinating to see who's paired with who, um, and who you know really, you know, who who stands out on the defensive line on Saturday. Um, linebacking group. I mean, I feel like. Brent Pride today just basically told Keonta Jenkins, this is your job if you go ball this weekend. He said verbatim, Keonta's our potential starter at Sam. And we haven't – we know he moved there, what, about two weeks ago? Yeah. Um, And when I hear that say today, to me, that sounds like a challenge. It sounds like he's doing the right things. Because I don't think Brent Pry is the type of guy that's going to say that S word unless he feels the guy is ready. Unless he's putting significant distance between everybody else that's practicing there, he's not going to say this guy has starting potential. Yeah. Because he hasn't said it about anybody else really that has started games before at positions that they're still playing at. So I think that that's going to be big. Um, You know, and, when we, we looked at what, what Jenkins had done at safety previously, and even going back to some of the the tape with the Hokies all, all access where we saw Coach Ham talking to him during that, like it seems like sometimes he was overthinking things. Yep. And 
you know, Pry was talking about Sam not being quite as much of a of a thinking position, more of a read react and fast and physical. Yes. And we know that Jenkins can bring that. And if and if he's picked that up quickly and he's doing well with that, I think that's probably going to be the best thing for us. Um, because again, that position is key to all the other blitzing stuff <laughs> that this defense likes to do. Oh, it's a hundred percent true. And um, Sean Quinn also said something about how that position, you have to be a half Superman, which just tells me you have to be crazy athletic. Um, but it's also a position too. me and Brian were discussing today. If you have a safety or a linebacker, that's a high recruit, that seems like the way to go after you want to talk about starting time first year is that same position. So start thinking about that in the future. You see a stud athletic kid out there, you know, undersized linebacker at like 210. That might be where they get them and say, this is where you can go and be too deep ASAP because you're that athletic and work your way into Will and Mike. Now, speaking of Will and Mike, Brian, we're split squads. So you've been, you've been, uh, we're not. We're going to probably see Keller with Dax. Probably going to see Keyshawn with Tisdale. Um, is is this kind of a time for Keyshawn artist to shine? Yeah, I think this is this is his opportunity. If he wants to take the next step as a leader of the linebacking unit, this is a great opportunity for him because he's not getting those like second team reps against second team offenses and things like that. He's getting to lead his unit as the Mike one on that other squad. And so that's going to give him an opportunity to see if he can be that vocal leader that prize talked about, because I think tool wise, he's as good or better than, than Dax is right now and definitely has better instincts. So you know, we'll we'll see what how that shakes out, and and that's no knock on Dax. I think Dax is a good player, um, but I and I think Dax's role on this team, obviously, I think that vocal and that that being loud and understanding how to get everyone where they need to be, that's his biggest attribute coming into the fall. Does artist take enough of a step forward in that capacity where he's going to challenge Dax for that position? Yeah, does he challenge him for the position? If he doesn't challenge him, but does he eat into it? Because remember, he was getting some reps last year. Yeah. One of those where it's it's not like 85-15, it's, you know, 70-30. Like, yeah, sit, I mean, situation, if, yeah. you, if you've got a run-heavy team, you probably want artists out there. Yeah, much, much more so. All right, let's look at safeties next. I mean – you know, we thought Peoples had locked up one of the safety positions, but then Nike Hawkins gets talked about yesterday. So it seems like they're battling and they're battling for boundary safety because it seems like Jamari Connor has locked up field safety, which I think for some people, they might be a little bit like, oh, no, he's he's playing more of a free safety type position, not not down in the box. But. To, you made a point earlier, Brian. You talked about the guys played nickel. The guys has the guy has covered. Does he have some lapses? Yeah, but he is a good player in that field safety position. And we know he's a leader. We know he's a dog. We know he has the respect of just about everybody in that secondary. So when you hear field safety, don't get scared, folks. Know it's a guy that has already had some of those responsibilities before. 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah, there there is uh, there is some some concerns with. I know sometimes there were lapses in tackling technique. There were lapses in coverage. Um, you know, he's going to be asked to probably do less in terms of uh, man and locking someone up and more in that read and react. And I think the bigger thing is that he's still going to be coming downhill a lot um, from this position. And so, you know, look for, look for that to be something that, um, you know, he's able to do and do pretty well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can do there. Um, you know, not necessarily concerned by this move, but you know, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. And today we really only heard three names mentioned from the safeties room. Um, I'm going to bring something up in just a second as we look at corners here, because we also heard today, I mean, it sounds like DJ Harvey has nickel just locked down and there is a nickel package. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like Harvey's really stepped up um, and is locked in at that nickel, which means that we'll have a true nickel package. And based on his build and stature and, and his skills, I mean, that really matches exactly what he, what he does well. So um, I think that's going to be a good role for him. And it also gives him a chance to get a, a good amount of live reps without being thrown into the fire of being, you know, a relied upon corner for the full four quarters. Yeah. And, and we kind of mentioned it with the safety and we mentioned it here that it, do we have a reliable fourth? You, 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 we heard Armani's name today. We heard Breon's and we heard Dorian as coach is feeling good about them. He mentioned Elijah um, as making some strides as well as Cam Johnson. But then he kind of said, but we still need one more. We still need one more. And the way he kind of phrased it was, in my opinion, we could either go after a field safety and or a corner. So I think we are going to go portal shopping after the spring for one of those. And some people would say, well, why wouldn't it be one or the other? If we look at this system, Brian, you know, we dived, you know, probably dove into it. A lot of field safety responsibility is in man type coverage when they go with the blitz heavy stuff. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that we're looking at is that are, are they are they looking at bringing in a dog, um, like essentially a, a, a one-one type type player that's in the portal, or are they looking to bring in more of a contributor and locker room type player to fill out the depth at, at either position? Um, I don't know if we're looking to to upgrade at corner or if we're looking to fill out depth. I don't know if we're looking to upgrade at safety or we're looking to fill out depth. At safety, I feel like it's more the latter. I think at cor- corner, it could be the former, whether it's looking for that true leader of the of the secondary to step up or whether it's just to, you know, make sure that you've got four super reliable players that you can count on. I mean, we know we got, we got Murray, we got Chapman, we got Dorian Strong, and you know, you got DJ Harvey mixing in there at the nickel, but you, you really want to have, you know, a solid two deep at the corner there. Yeah. So you got that five counting the nickel Yeah. Where, where you can really rely on to put them in coverage against any, any of the best receivers on the other squad. Right. Yep. And when you talk about leader and I've mentioned Jamari, I think Jamari, to me, he's the guy that probably could emerge leading the secondary. Um, just because of, you know, his personality being a dog, 
and I think we will we won't get a chance to see that Saturday, right? Because they're not all going to be on the same side. But I know you'll probably get out there early, Brian. But who is the guy that's you know pumping them up during the during the warm up? That's the things I'm looking for because you know we really you feel like at every level you like Dax is the leader. You we, we're getting this feel. Norrell Pollard's really and Garbutt are stepping into the defensive line room. And the secondary, because tomorrow went back, we're, we're kind of missing that. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, Armani Chapman has been both a vocal leader and he's got, you know, the skills. Um, you know, we've, we've seen inconsistency be the thing that has dogged him yeah. during his time at Virginia Tech. You know, has he cleaned some of that up? And, and is he able to, you know, be that – Player that leads by example, but is also the vocal leader for that uh, that group of cheetahs. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Anything breaking? Any additional quotes? Anybody tweet anything crazy? I think we're good to go, man. We got. I'm gonna let you intro, but we got something special to close this thing out. Uh, yep, we do. So as we wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, we do have a very special music premiere from our very own Jason Long. Um, now, before we press play on that, we do want to remind you to visit the website BoundaryCornerBT.com and listen to all of our episodes. Follow us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account as well as our Amazon or your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts. Before he plays this out, we are premiering Jason Long's new song. This will be out on Spotify and Apple Music in the upcoming days i want to make a joke to jason i think jason watches us occasionally and feels like we're the ins- i don't know if we're the inspiration as the old men yelling at the tv on saturdays but i'll take it if we are jason will also be at grand and farmers market in roanoke 8 to 12 so if you're heading to the spring game from roanoke drop by there take a look at him but tonight World premiere, Jason Long, Old Man Yelling at the TV. Well, I know some, and I've been told, there's nothing fun about going on. You lose your eyes and you lose your hair. Your brains are working beyond repair. But by far, last thing I want to be is a old man yelling at his TV.
Davis TV. TV. 